on the book of Philippians a while, and uh, <clears throat> sometimes we'll think about mission uh, some, some, some great expedition that you got to be like uh, uh, one of those guys uh, went into the unreached people groups of uh, the 1040 window and all that stuff. And, and that's all good. But how many know the mission field is actually Pier 2, right where we live? Outside these four walls, we're entering into a mission field. In, in your office, every, every place like that. I want to take a, um, uh, uh, we're going to take a peek of uh, Paul, the apostle. He writes this letter during a mission trip that went terribly bad. It went so wrong, he ended up in prison. But yet at the same time, the mission trip that went so wrong turned out to be one of the best mission trips ever. Have you ever felt that way in your life sometimes, where something that goes so wrong, you're thinking, oh my goodness, if I could escape this thing, I would just run away, hide in a hole, do what? And then at the same time, God has a way of turning around beautiful ashes, if you would, pearls from, and you're thinking, man, God, so, so thankful. That I went through that experience. How many are with me? How many can relate to something like that? So God kind of does that. And I want us to kind of read uh, today, Philippi. In fact, I'm reading the same set of verses that I read last week because I want to continue a thought with you here. Today's message, uh, maybe the subtitle, would be about winning. Say, winner. I'm a winner. <laughs> All right, and that, that, okay, hear me out. That doesn't mean that the person next to you is a loser. No. We're all meant to win. We're all meant to win. And God wants us to win here. You know, uh, um, um, uh, Philippians 1. Are you there? So, verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, born servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you uh, all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the, from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Just as it is, it is right for me to think of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace. Verse 8. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you, all with the affection of, 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 of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and, and in all discernment. That you being approved of the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the entrance of your word brings life. And we pray this morning, God, that you would uh, illuminate your word in our hearts, O oh God. That we can be all that we can be at the teaching of your word. Let their peace come upon every heart and every mind, O oh God. Let the joy of your Holy Spirit flood this place, O oh God. I pray right now for those, O oh God, that are come in today. Maybe even barely made it here today. 
coming with burdens and concerns of life and things that are too difficult for them to bear. I pray right now that they will find rest under your word. I pray for those that come in sick and, and, and tired and uh, just uh, maybe struggling with physical problems. I ask right now that you will send your word and heal their disease, oh God. I pray, Lord, right now for those that are coming with financial concerns, oh God, things, uh, bills that have to be paid, uh, not knowing where, where to go, oh God. We know that you're Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our providers, the one says that some may trust in horses, others in chariots, but we choose to trust in the name of the Lord our God. And I pray right now that the windows of heaven will be open over their lives and that they can find a place of peace and rest and know that God is our provider. As Philippians later on says that my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you for your word. Let it bring to us all that you send it to do in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I just speak blessing over your life right now. I wasn't planning to pray that way, but I was feeling the direction of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is here. He knows you. He understands exactly where you are. He's never left you, by the way. He wants to kind of let you know that he's with you. Amen. amen. Tell the person next to you, God's with you. I would go on to read the rest of the chapter, the next 12 cha- uh, verses. There's about 18 verses that end the chapter. Um, uh, and and, and, the, and the 12, verse 12 and, uh, through 30 of, of the book, if you were to read it, in fact, I want to encourage you, would you read it? It's not actually, it's very short. I actually just picked up the book yesterday. I read it again and I finished it in just one sitting. You could, you could finish chapter one today, you know, before the NFL game. Uh, you, could, you, could, you could finish you can, you can finish chapter 1. But the next uh, verses basically begin to unfold a series of principles that actually first disclose themselves in the first few verses that we read. One of the things that you see is that Paul, uh, he's, he's writing this while he's in prison. He's in chains. He's in prison in Rome because of his Christianity. We must understand this, that at that time to be a Christian was not an esteemed term. It wasn't like uh, even, even no, no, we feel like sometimes Christianity in many circles, uh, you can be persecuted or feel discriminated just because of your faith. How many know that? But this is a hundred times worse in this case. In fact, they were not esteemed. They were loathed. People uh, were, uh, they, they were looked at as some kind of a cult at this time. And so, so Paul is in prison because of, uh, of his stance on Jesus Christ. In verse 13, 14, and 16, he repeats again and kind of re-emphasizes on the fact that both in my chains. So he repeats the same phrase. And um, at the time in, in, in the Roman Empire, the order of religion is what I, it was basically atheist, atheism, humanism, or humanistic atheism, however way you want to call it. Really, basically it was the concept of man is all it. The the order of religion was more about some type of a deity in man. And the highest person on the empire, who's the empire himself, was kind of looked at as a kind of God. Not that he was worshipped, but he was revered. His word was fine and all that. So So this idea and this philosophy of man being the epicenter of everything is not a new idea at all. It's not a new phenomenon of the 21st century. It always has been there in humanity. And it's always bred its kind, its type of destruction. So, and, and, and I say this because sometimes I, I feel like in our generation, we tend to see resistance and, and feel like we are all persecuted and all that stuff and think that the, the problems that we face today are unique to our times. 
But they are not. They've always been there. In fact, sometimes even worse off than we are. And, and, and I think just having that understanding and having that settled in your mind will help you sometimes not get too worked up when things go a certain way. When the world seems to be moving a direction that we know is contra- contrary to, to Scripture, we know that it's going to lead to distractions. We don't have to be worked up because God is still on the throne, my friends. He is still Lord. No matter what happens in our world, He is still Lord. And at this time, Paul is in prison as a, because of, of his stance on Jesus Christ. And there was some tense happening because many people, because the whole scandal was about this guy who was crucified on a Roman cross. He was crucified on a Roman cross, and people claim that he rose from the dead. And that's what Paul was preaching. We're talking about 30-some years later. And at this time, there was some tension because hundreds of thousands of people at this point are believing in this message. And they claim to, have, to be in touch with this Jesus of Nazareth. Even though he's not seen in person at this time, it's well after, people are saying, hey, they're, they're, they're experiencing life change. They're experiencing change. They're experiencing hope for the future, a hope for eternal life. They're feeling forgiveness, and they're, they're in touch with the living Christ. And so it starts creating this uh, concern and, and, and problems, and Paul will wind up in prison um, at this point. So we, we go on, and we see that throughout the last, and in verse eight, um, uh, 18, 19 there, he goes on and talks about verses that you would relate to or remember, even songs are written of it, that for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain, you all know that. He comes out of all that. So he's, he's kind of reconciling his position, trying to express to the church where he's at. Now, <clears throat> uh, uh, my message I want to send out really around verse 10. Verse 10 says this, that you may approve of the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense with, till the day of Christ. Now, before, before you would approve anything, I want you to look at verse 9. It says, and, and I pray that your love may abound still more and more in, the, in knowledge and discernment. See, discernment has to do with, with uh, perceiving things correctly. has to do with actually being able to, to take apart things that are worth it from things that are unworth it, things that are worth anything and those that are worth nothing. And so discernment really has to do with sorting things out. When you evaluate, let's say, your life and the road that you're going through or maybe where you're going to spend your time, where you're going to spend your money, where you're going to spend your energy, your effort, you can kind of put a, a way in and decide, oh, hey, 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 this isn't really, really worth it. How many know that we can spin wheels, we can spend so much of our time, our attention, our emotional energy on things that at the end of the day don't mean anything. Last night, yesterday, I was looking through my, 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 my AT&T bill. And I'm just about this close to quit AT&T. I know, the people in the office know it. <laughs> and I remember um, uh, sometime, like last year, we were on vacation. And uh, one, between AT&T and Time Warner Cable, I think they were just kind of, they collaborated to make my life really hard between the two of them. So my internet is not working, and so we are like using our phone internet thinking that we're using Wi-Fi. And then we get on vacation, we're using our GPS and going down, and I come back and I get a bill that was like a ridiculous amount. 
I'm thinking, how in the world? 15 years ago, I didn't even have a cell phone. <laughs> and now I have to pay this. It's like a mortgage right here to just pay a phone. And I said, enough, this is it. And I changed everything, and I, I took a picture of it. It was actually very cool. I cut my bill so low. I think they probably, when I call this as well, don't cancel anything. Don't give any discounts. We're giving every discount imaginable. <laughs> but again, I had to think, it's like, this is ridiculous. If I have to cut the phone and use my flip phone and just, I'll do that. But I'm not going to spend that much money for a cell phone. In fact, by the way, you have a, for maximum data service. I mean, everyone has Wi-Fi everywhere you go. Don't use maximum, you know. So I'm thinking, you know. Point being, how many know that we can spend time and even money on things at the end of the day that really don't add any value to our lives or anybody around us? And so Paul is talking about discernment. He says, I pray that you will have discernment so that you can sort things out that where you live, how you live your life, how you spend your time, how you spend your uh, money, how you spend your energy, your mental thoughts, that you can weigh things out. You can take the chunks of life and sort them out accordingly and be, uh, and, and be focused on the things that, that matter. And, and so uh, in verse 10, he talks about being approved. And the word there is actually a very uh, fascinating word. I'm not an expert in Greek, but this one did get my attention. Uh, it's called dokamazo. It's, it conveys the idea of testing, testing things out. And the example that, you, that, that, that word is using is the, is the example that you find uh, maybe, um, uh, you know, back in the, in, the, in the Western days when people would go to California, you know, to, 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 for, for a better life. And, and, and they would come out with some fake gold, and you have to take it to the assayer to weigh in. It's like, ah, Nate, I think you thought you just made it, you strike your reach, but no, not, not good at all. And, and it's, it's more like that kind of mentality of being able to, to, to sort out, again, getting back to that discernment idea uh, of testing things out that are worth it, that are worth anything. Okay, the other thought in, in the book of Philippians overall, and I'm going to give you three points and we'll, we'll worship the Lord and go home, okay? I want you to look at verse 13 and 14. It says, now, uh, 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 this is of chapter 3. Another thing that kind of gives us an overall. I guess we are at the beginning giving us an overall view of this series. Verse 13 and 14 uh, gives us another overall picture of, of, of chapter 3. I don't know if I have it there. I do. Okay. Now, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. I, and another translation says, I don't count myself to have achieved it yet. But I focus on the things, on, on one thing. I forget the things which are past, and I look forward to what lies ahead. Then I press on to reach to the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. He's defining right there what is worth winning for. I watched a clip a friend of mine sent me this week. Um, uh, it was John Bavia um, uh, talking about he was in Brazil. And he was uh, speaking to this group of pastors in Brazil. And, uh, and, and the meeting was so huge. It was like thousands of people. This is, so these are all your pastors? Like, yep, these are all our pastors. And he goes, wow, okay. Um, um, so then how, how big is your church? So it's several different, an of churches. 
well, I think we are a little over 300,000 people. It's like, oh, wow. How, when, when did you start? 1999? 1899? No, no, no. 1999. And he goes, so why is it that you guys are so effective in reaching your world for Christ what can we take? What can we learn with this? And maybe what can I bring back to America? Because there's obviously something you're doing right that we are not in, in reaching our culture. And the pastor looked at him and says, you know, we talk about eternity. We talk about eternal rewards. We talk about heaven and hell. We talk about the price that goes beyond this life and now. And I thought, oh, my God, isn't it telling, though, when we sometimes are trying to change and soften everything up? And I'm not saying being mean or anything. It's about the grace of God. Uh, get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes people are walking into oblivion. They don't even understand that there's more to this life than just the 80, 90 years, 70, whatever we all get. And that the things that we do now affect our destiny in the future, that they are eternal rewards. That I, Jesus said that I go to prepare a place for you. If you want, so I would have told you. And they were driven by eternal things so much. And I think when you have that perspective in life, I think there are some trials that you'll be able to handle better when you see the bigger picture. There are some things that you will not let them cause you to sweat too much. I, I could understand that reaction in the moment, but when you put everything into perspective, you're like, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Proverbs, we are told that he who wins a soul is wise. Because the only thing that you and I can actually translate from this place to the next realm is souls. The people that you provided a pathway for to help them come to the knowledge of Christ. The people that you led to Christ yourself, or at least channel them to the pathway of Christ. The only thing that actually has any eternal value, eternal significance is people. That's why God sent his son to die for people. And we need to live our lives as winners. We need to live our lives as soul winners, but also as winners overall because we've already overcome the world. The Bible says that um, Christ has, uh, I can't even quote the verse out of me, but it's about Jesus saying that he's overcome the world. He's overcome the world. And when we are part of him, what, whatever thing, can, what thing in the world is so difficult for him? What thing is so big that supersedes that eternal destiny that we have in Christ? Absolutely nothing. This guy is in chains for something. He could have gotten out really easily if he wanted to. But he was so compelled about the message. And yet, at that time, he would look as if the things had gone so bad. We had a great 
plan to go and reach this city for Jesus and preach the Son of God and people will come to salvation and all that. And he ends up in jail. How often do we pull out because we were confronted with something difficult or uncomfortable? I'm talking as simple as I don't like Should I go there? <laughs> I don't like chunky peanut butter. <laughs> and they don't have smooth peanut butter where are they? <laughs> I know you are expecting something profound. <laughs> But sometimes it's just some of those silly things. Uh, and then it can be a big deal. You know, you like uh, peanut butter chicken or you like sweet and sour chicken. <laughs> but just the very thought of discomfort. I don't want to look like I don't know anything. Try, quit trying to prove that you know everything. There's one thing you do know. It's your testimony. You know what you are like. That's all you got to do. You might not be a great debater. Please don't try if you're not gifted in that way. You're going to flop. And you're going to look foolish. I say, how about just learning to say, you know, I used to be like this. Until one day when Jesus touch my life. I used to judge people by the cover. The first time I see him, I already think I know who, all that there is to know about that person. And my heart changed when I met Jesus. I used to be so upset. When the dumbest things happened to me, I would just come unglued. I would speak some unholy language. But you know, Jesus touched me. And, and the things have begun to change for me. I used to be very self-centered. The world revolved around me. I could care less about anybody else. But Jesus touched my life, and, and, I, and I'm changing, and I'm seeing positive things happen in my life. I used to be so <clears throat> in drugs and alcohol, and living in bondage, be inside myself. I didn't know what to do. But, but I found a new way of coping with things. I have developed this relationship with a very personal God. And I found that God is very personal. And he sent his Holy Spirit and he gives me comfort. He strengthens me when, when I cannot help myself. Not to debate Revelation 26. and what, In fact, there is no Revelation 26. But... <laughs> and we get into this petty argument. Well, was Jesus born on this day or on that day? Who cares? He came, he died, and he's alive. Amen. When you open the book, I'm giving you three things, the, the way of a winner. Way of winner. Three things that I could pull out of this. When you open the book, the first, we can go past the first four words before getting the word servant. 
It says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Okay, bond servants of Jesus Christ. Uh, the first thing is the traits of a winner. The one, number one is that they have to be a servant. A servant. You see, Paul could have used a different designation, which is used throughout the New Testament. You'll see where he says, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was an apostle, and he referred to himself as such many times. But he comes here and says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. If you look at the original word, actually, in, in the Greek language, <clears throat> um, um, it actually is a word, the similar word that we use for slave. And I know a lot of uh, Bible translators uh, that uh, are trying to kind of help us uh, translate uh, Bibles in, in uh, messages that uh, would help us be able to connect the original meaning. Because sometimes when you use the word slave, we can associate that with, with what we know slavery in our culture and what has done. And sometimes it can paint a picture of Jesus that's not really right. And so you'll find sometimes those words are used. But when you see that bond servants is actually, in the Greek word, it's the same word that used uh, for a slave. And, 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 and really a, a servant, they're setting himself apart as a servant of Jesus Christ. And that line sets the tone for the rest of the book. It sets the tone that, 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 that this quality, the first quality of anyone that wants to win, and I mean winning in, in God, God's terms, not the world's notion of like, if I win, then you lose. I'm top and you're on the bottom. If I win, that I, I, I'm the ruler, you know? And they, they even... Now we have like three weeks before or four weeks before the political thing, and there's a lot of winning. My girl will win. My girl, who cares? Not that kind of winning here. Okay? Since the first mark of a winner is that they must be a servant. See, Jesus' disciples went into this argument because they thought, some of them thought that Jesus would be uh, become a, an earthly king, that he will overthrow the Roman government and he will rule. And they're starting to talk to each other amongst men, themselves. Hey, I wonder who's going to be the greatest. You know, once, once he becomes the empire and then the new world order comes, and uh, well, who's going to be greatest here? Who's going to be his vice, whatever? And Jesus says to them that the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. He illustrates the same message in the time where he... Um, um, comes and washes his disciples' feet. It was something of a master would not do. It was a job of a servant. Judah, come here. <laughs> Stand over here, buddy. I'm picking on you now. Jesus would come down, and he'll get on his knees, and he'll begin to wash his disciples' feet. And it was absolutely confusing to them. Even when he came, the time for him to get, come and get baptized, John absolutely freaked out. says, no way. I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to baptize you. Are you kidding me? Thanks, bud. Give him my hand. He's a good. <laughs> they were absolutely confused. But he was teaching the qualities of true leadership and true winners. And it's not so much having the foot being the anatomy of the story. It's the other way around. The person stooping so low to clean people that have walked through the path that has gotten them how they are. If I'm making any sense. 
It's about the person going on, not so much even. People have gone through the road of life. People might come into your life, people that we ask, people that we speak to. They've gone through a road that has brought them up to the point that they are when you meet them. They may not look beautiful. They might smell like the other side of the world. Egypt in biblical times. They might not have a clean history. Probably not. Might be someone that you would not ordinarily hang out with. But you see the value in people that God sees in them. No matter what their road had been until that point, Jesus is a uniter. Jesus is the one who heals. Jesus is the one who turns things, ugly things, into beautiful things. He can take your ugly past, your tests to your testimony. I could go on and do some, uh, some, some quotes that maybe sound good. But he is the one that can take every experience, no matter how bad the road had been. Would he find servants in his house that are ready to go down low and walk with people? We are called to serve church. We are called to serve to serve him. And that, by extension, is to serve his people. The Bible talks about a time that we will stand before Jesus. <clears throat> and many people, and Jesus will say to people that, I didn't know you. And people are like, Lord, uh, remember all no, I, I didn't know you. And he says this, that Jesus says, he would turn around and says, remember when you had sick people around? Did you ever go take care of them? I was in prison and you, 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 you didn't even come and visit me. I was hungry, you did not feed me. Remember that? When you didn't do it to them, you did it unto me. And he puts himself into those shoes. He says, the real witness are sovereigns. They don't look away. They don't bury their head into the sand. You can't do everything. You can't change the whole world, but do what you can. With the grace that God gives you. And I trust that when you take that step, God will, it'll be a doorway to things that you would have never imagined. Because God is always waiting for us. Sometimes we are waiting for God, and God is waiting for us to just take those baby steps and open our world into, a, into possibilities that we would have never created, never thought about, never imagined. I never imagined my life to be what it is now. I never imagined myself to be a pastor. I never imagined any of that. It all happened... Because I started serving. I remember uh, one of my pastors would say, oh, we need ushers at church. Maybe I probably said this story before. And, 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 and I remember just all, that's all it was. I was like, oh, well, I can help. And then I ended up being at church earlier than I normally would have been. And then it opened my world to another group of people that did all the setup, 
When everybody came in, worshiped God, they felt God, glory, hallelujah, it was awesome, God is so good, we love him, the presence of God awesome, and they go home. There are some people that I had no idea existed that made it happen. It was the sound crew. <laughs> we met in a soccer stadium in Nairobi in some uh, uh, beat-up neighborhood because that's all we could afford, and, uh, and people will have games the night before, and so we'll come in and clean up after soccer games and clean beer cans and all that and set up the stage and people will come to church and worship and that would be awesome. Second service will come in and the guys that were there four hours before everybody were there two hours after everybody left. So as being an usher helped me get in there and I found out that, oh, the sound guys always need help because they have to set up the whole stage and all the speakers with like scaffoldings of about 40 feet high that we set it up every morning on different parts of the stadium uh, to, <laughs> to set up for service and then tear it down when the services are over. So I was like, hey, I can help. Serving. Then before you know it, I was a Nasha and I was a sound guy. And we'll have weddings in our church. We'll have meetings in our church because we didn't have a church building. So a lot of stuff would happen in the church office and they wanted the guys that knew how to run the sound equipment to run meetings. And here's a kid, like 18 years old, um, sometimes the pastors have a pastor's conference and they're looking for someone to help set up. I didn't have a job. I was out there like, hey, I'll help. And guess what? As they're teaching pastors, and this was a different level of teaching, but this kid is running sound, he's still receiving what his pastors are receiving. I was just serving. And God will go on to bless my life. And that led the blow. That's, that's how I ended up being a pastor. I didn't go out and say that I'm going to be a pastor one day. Finance was my way. I knew where I was going. I wanted to go to politics after that. And God says, oh, I have a different plan for your life. And at that time, I could hear him. But it was all serving. I was an accidental pastor. Because it just happened because I was serving making myself available for God's work. The track of the winner, verse 10, says that you approve of the things which are excellent, that you may be sincere and without fault. And uh, <clears throat> what's excellent? It, 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 you, I, I can't really put it any better, at least in my estimation, than looking at the Olympics. It just ended, and I still... Um, Enjoying the afterwaves, you know, in my mind. I still am thinking, man, that race, I'd like to see it again. Now, some of us are weird like that. The Olympics kind of goes on, especially track and field. Well, just about everything. But you, I have a lot of respect for those athletes, you know, and what they put in there, you know. And then and at the end of the day, one guy comes out and they win. It's a lot of work, you know. Uh, the, the, the road to get there. I think of 100 meters, dash, you know. They finish that thing in nine seconds, it's over. Nine seconds. But the road to run that nine seconds was so much more. You get it? And I think they're all winners just to make it there. And God wants us to, to, to set a goal and to understand the implications of it. And the goal in life that matters the most is a goal about winning lost people to Christ. It's a goal of the church making a determination that we're going to reach our city. We're going to reach the next city. We're going to reach Crete. And that's not going to stop there. We're going to reach another city and another city. Uh, 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 by all means, we're going to see people come to Christ. Amen. 
no matter what happens in our world, no matter who gets elected president, people, we're gonna, our goal is going to be to win people to Christ. Because he who wins a soul is wise. Proverbs 11.30, if you want to take, write it down and look it up. The last thing is the test. You realize that it's not always easy. How many know that you can make a determination? Even right now, maybe inspired by God's word. So come on, do and then you go in, and the moment you want to take your step, it kind of flops on you. Or you get another curveball come at you, you weren't seeing it, and it kind of spins things around. How many? <laughs> I know we were raising money at the church for the lights. We're still raising it. We're not there yet. So if you want to give a lot of money towards that, that's a good thing to give towards that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Pastor Chris, yeah, just to tell you, another guy, Brad, I'm gonna, we were, Brad and I were here at, for four hours yesterday trying to figure it out. We have enough. We have some, more than halfway there, but we're working towards it. So, and um, I, don't, I even lost my train of thoughts because that was a sideshow right there. <laughs> but anyway, no, that was a heart of service. You know, we ran out to just do something quick and realize, oh boy, there's a big problem here. And so it took just that much longer to do it, you know. And, but I remember um, uh, when we made the pledge for it, we looked at each other and decided a, a substantial amount for us, at least at that time. Next day, the very next day, some things just go bad in our house. We're going to have to spend way money, more money than we were planning to do, you know. And we looked at each other and said, you know what, that's Satan. He's so lost. How many know that sometimes a test comes? But it's not bad. You can overcome it because you are a winner. You don't have to respond to it. You can say, okay, we're going to still do our commitment no matter what. I didn't have the money to pay immediately. It took me maybe three weeks or four weeks to get it there, but I got it there anyway, no matter what happens. So the test of a winner is Paul is writing all this. In verse 28, uh, which I don't have it up there, and 29 says, and not in any way... Not in any because this church was also this church was also persecuted, but it was not in any way um, terrified by your adversaries, which is to prove a proof of perdition, but you <laughs> to you of salvation, and that you, you from let me start that again, verse twenty-eight, and not in any way to be terrified. He's encouraging them not to be terrified by their adversaries, because Paul was not the only one under the gun here. The church was being persecuted badly as well. And he says that to you, it's proof of perdition, but for you it's salvation. That, that's from God. For you, to you, it has granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So Paul himself, uh, let me summarize something. When you read it, you, you can connect the story. Paul comes in, and this is a line that you know it very well. That way he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Basically, Paul is coming to this place. He says, you know what? It's, things have been really rough for me. He's tied, chained between two Roman soldiers in that momentum prison in Rome. The prison is still in existence to this day. You can visit it. And um, the sewage of uh, Rome passes through that. He's spot on. He's uh, absolutely in a horrible situation. He says, really the most convenient thing, guys, for me right now 
if the Lord will just take my life, I'd be so happy to be, spend the rest of my life with him. He's saying, if I had my way right now, this very moment, I'd rather be in glory with my Lord. But I've calculated things and I realized that it's actually more beneficial for me to live because of you. Because I want to encourage you. I want to... So I'm choosing that. But whatever happens, regardless of what happens in my life, I've come to this point. That if I die and I don't make it to you, hey, that's gain for me. If I live, I'm going to preach in Jesus so crazy more people will get saved. Because it's a win-win situation for me. He's made that choice that he goes, hey, listen, as a child of God, my options are always a win-win. If this persecution leads to my death, hey, I'm standing eternity with Jesus. If it leads to me living, oh, I'm going to preach and more people will get saved. And then he goes on to tell them that what's been interesting, so Paul is analyzing this and says what's been interesting is this, is that even in my chains, People are talking about Christ. Because now they're thinking, what a crazy man that is standing for this. And so they're curious. Their curiosity increases. The Paul will go to such extent. And people that were mocking Christ even, he says, I don't care that they're mocking Christ. They're talking about Christ. At least they're talking about Christ. And then other believers watch how Paul endured pain. And it encouraged them. It says, man, if he can go through that because of Christ, I could put up with a lot less and I could do. So he goes, in either way, this mission trip that turned out so bad is turning out to be the most effective mission field that I've ever done. Because even in my suffering, the mockers are talking about Christ and believers are encouraged to endure even persecution and they can do more. Because they see my life and what I've been able to put on the line for Christ's sake. Question for us, what do we do when our life is under the gun? What happens when the pressures of life begin to happen? What happens to the value system? Maybe it's time. Would I live the way I want to live when the pressures come? Would I give the way I want to give? Would I serve the way I want to serve? What happens? Am I to the point that the pressures, and I realize the pressure sometimes is just dumb dumb little things, regular life things, that having to just make a choice between two good things and having discernment to distinguish between just good, good, and best, and better, and excellent. It's really about learning to spend your life on things that are worth it. I close with a story. One of our friends, Pastor Rick Seward, he's preached here probably about five years ago. In fact, his son, Pastor Jeremy, was here uh, this, earlier this summer. Many of you might remember. Uh, his parents were, missionary, were, 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 were pastors in the Assembly of God back, back, back then. And the, his mom was pregnant, very, very pregnant, way, I think, in the, in the, in the early 50s. And felt this call, this urge of God to go to Southeast Asia. And um, it was the timing of it. They had no problem serving Jesus, already serving Jesus. They could go anywhere. Uh, 
But the timing of it just seemed to defy all wisdom and natural knowledge because wife was very, very pregnant. So when they told their family that they, they feel the Lord's call to go uh, to be missionaries in Southeast Asia, when she's like this pregnant, people are thinking, why don't you just wait till the baby is born? And then you could all go. The church leaders are thinking, you know, that would be okay. You know, wait for, at least if the baby is born and all that. But they felt like, you know, God has said this. And they pressed on and ended up in Singapore. And years later, Brother Rick Seward would be born. And he'd be, oh, no, no, yes, he would be born. He was the one that they were pregnant with. But years later, he'd become a, a, a pastor there. And at the time, it was a communist government. And uh, he became the biggest church in Singapore at the time, back in the 80s. And, uh, and the government got very suspicious of him, of him maybe, maybe bringing people to a, a big church of thousands of people, and they were not very comfortable with that many people gathering. And they were planning stories in the New Testament. He'd end up in jail for wacky things that they said. They'll send some FBI people to his church, he was on a, on a microscope. And if they could do it, they would kick him out of the country. But they couldn't because he was born there. Years before that, when mom and dad got this call from God that didn't make any sense, didn't make any sense at all, they didn't even know why God was compelling them to move. But they, and God doesn't force us. He still, we have to make a choice. And they make a choice to follow through with what God was leading them to do. They didn't know that it would come to protect him. Could not kick him out. And you know that one church, since 1978, they have been instrumental in planning over 10,000 churches all over the world and still planning. Some of the church plans we've supported financially in Brazil and Mexico has been in collaboration with this church. The impact, you don't see them on TV. Wait till you go to heaven, you'll find out. <laughs> because, again, God doesn't judge. It's not always the popular that you see. There's a lot happening for the kingdom of God. They're literally in every nation, and they're still planning churches, saving people that came with that parent just being obedient in a time that didn't make any sense. What do we do? We're called to win, but a different kind of winning, actually the best kind of winning, and it's serving, 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 serving. And the greatest Price of all is bringing souls to Jesus Christ. Stand with me. How many are committed to be a new kind of winner? Is the Lord inspiring or challenging something in your life? Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you right now. Pray with me, pray with me. All over this place. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are an amazing God, the creator of heaven and earth, oh God, the Lord of our creation. Amazing God. But God, in all your majesty, in all your glory, in all your beauty, oh, Father, in, in, in your sovereignty, Lord, 
You have loved us personally. You have loved us personally. That you sent your son to be one of us and to take the sacrifice for all of us. Thank you for the tremendous sacrifice. Thank you for the grace that's unfathomable, Lord. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. And thank you for the reality of your Holy Spirit in this room today. I pray right now, Lord. In fact, I pray this, Lord, that you would forgive us, Lord, (laughs) when we've been distracted, when we've given things, we've given ourselves, spent our lives, spent our money, spent our time, and given you the leftovers. We just ask that you forgive us, Lord. And help us to realign our priorities and to be always conscious of the people that you bring in our lives. Oh God, the road that we walk in our schools, in our community, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our work, in the city of Lincoln, oh God. Help us to know and to see everyone the way you see them. Help us to be servants of you, Lord. To serve your people. The brokenhearted. The lost, the disenfranchised, oh God. Those that are alone. Those that are without anyone. Give us the same heart that was in Christ Jesus. Give us the courage that we need, oh God, and the strength that we need to carry on. We thank you, Father. We bless you, Lord. Now ask him to just fill you afresh right now. I believe that the Holy Spirit is moving. I believe that the Holy Spirit right now is ministering to hearts. If you've been going through the motions... Maybe not a lot of fire, just doing the right things, just doing the ordinary things. I pray right now, Lord, that you will spark a fire. If that's you, just been going through the motions, kind of dull. This life in Jesus is energizing, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I pray right now, God, that you will infuse a fire in our bones, a fire in our hearts, oh God. That we glow with, we glow, oh God, with this abundant life that we have in Jesus Christ. Give us the strength of the Holy Spirit, God, in every area. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We thank you for our beloved country, oh God, in these times. And I know that there are different ones that even feel the weight of discrimination because of their faith. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, maybe those that work in environments that are hostile towards them because of their faith in Christ. I pray that they will find confidence in you. They will find peace in you. That they will find joy in you, oh God. And let their hearts, their lives be radiant for you, God. Don't force anything on anyone. But just being filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.